0: Good morning. How are you this morning? Good. Peace be with you. That always gets a response. Stand up on your feet if you're able to this morning. Those of you that are worshiping with us online, we're glad to have you. One thing I'll say, we're going to uh, say the creed here in just a second. If this is your first time with us, uh, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. It's a delight to have you. Uh, we, uh, you, most of you in the room are probably aware, as a total church, so all New Life Church, this year we're really putting a renewed emphasis on prayer. And so I just wanted to invite you once again to our weekly prayer meetings that we have at the World Prayer Center every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 7.30 in the morning. And also at noon, we're gathering together for prayer. Uh, New Life East happens to lead the Wednesday morning meeting. How many of you in this room have been to the Wednesday morning meeting so far? How many of you have been to any meeting thus far? Good, a bunch of you. Come. They're really, really wonderful. This past Wednesday morning as a community, uh, we spent the morning praying over our nation So praying for government and elected officials, praying for the health of our society, and then also praying for spiritual renewal. And I really thought at the end of our time together, we really hit a vein of praying over renewal. And so this coming Wednesday, uh, we're going to gather together again, and our time together is going to be focused on praying for the church and praying that the spirit breaks out in a fresh way in the church in America. Can I get an amen from somebody? So if you're free, join us uh, for prayer. Let's declare our faith together this morning. We believe in one God Amen. You may be seated. We're in a new series across all New Life congregations this spring called Who is God? It's a look at the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And last week I opened our series by talking about just how it is Christians, that kind of gave a flyby on the series really, to talk about uh, just how it is that Christians think about God. What are sort of the key points of our understanding of the God who has been revealed? And we made three points last week. We said number one, that uh, God is Trinity. That we don't begin, Christians don't begin thinking about God just as almighty, powerful, abstract God out in outer space. But God is Trinity, He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so God is deeply relational right from the very beginning and all the way through to the very end. In fact, relationship is defin- it's definitional for how we think about God. So God is Trinity, number one. And number two, we said that the Trinity has a story that the only way that we get to know this God who reveals God's self as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is by paying close attention to the contours of the story that God tells about himself. And that story, of course, is contained in the Old and the New Testaments in the scriptures. And so God is Trinity. The Trinity has a story. And then number three, we said that only God reveals God. That if God does not want you to know him, you will not know him. But the good news of the scriptures is that the, Paul, Paul says in 1 Timothy that God desires that all people be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. It is the ache of God that every human being would come to know him. And so God wills that our eyes would be open to his goodness. Can I get an amen from somebody? I want to start this morning by talking about what it means to confess God as father. And I want you, before we open the scriptures together, we're going to pray and open the text in a second. But I want you to think back to the creed that we just said. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty. What's the next word? Maker And so God's identity as the father from the very first in the creed and also in the scriptures is defined by who he is as the maker of heaven and earth of all that is seen and unseen. So that creation somehow is already always an ongoing manifestation of the father's love for us and his goodwill for us. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, we welcome you. We invite you. We thank you that you're here. We thank you that when you ascended into heaven, he said, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And, and so we trust that that is so. We trust that you were present with us this morning to lead us and guide us and help us and teach us. And when you walked among us and now still by the power of your Holy Spirit, what you do is you reveal the Father to us. You show us what the God you knew as Father and still know as Father what he is like. And so we pray That you would be in our midst this morning to do exactly that. That you would help us see the bright, smiling face of the Father who wills our good and only wills our good and will only ever always will our good (laughs) into the ages to come. And so I pray that we would rest in that this morning, that we would take delight and pleasure in that, and that we would see how true that is with new eyes this morning. Granted, we're praying. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, Genesis 1.1 is our text this morning. I'll tie a few threads together and make some points to you about what it means to confess the Father as the Creator. The text reads, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Think about that. The very first thing that we see God doing in scripture is making all that is seen and unseen. Our God is busy. He's always at work, always creating. And now the earth, the writer of Genesis says, was formless and empty. The Hebrew is fun here. It's tohu wabohu. Can I hear you say that? Tohu wabohu. It's this sort of formless and void Hebrew expression that sounds like exactly what it means. It's like an onomatopoeia. A lot of syllables for you this morning. But it sounds like what it means. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was there hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And when God speaks, of course, things happen. And so what happened? There was light. And God saw that the light was, what does the text say? It was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. We don't have time this morning to read all of the text of Genesis 1. Though it would be fun to do. And I love the text of Genesis 1, how it progresses. There is that gesture of God in creating something, or separating something, bringing form to something. And then at each gesture, God takes a step back and he looks at, at it and he says, well, this is, it's good. And the refrain rings out. It becomes like this musical crescendo that builds throughout the whole, I like get goosebumps thinking about it. They're like, I love how they said of Jesus in the Gospels, he has done everything well. Well, they said that of Jesus because that's just true of God, that God just does everything well. And so everything in the created order, the earth and the rocks and the skies and the seas and all of it, God looks at everything he does and goes, that's good. You know, have you ever done that? Like those of you that are creatives in the room, actually everybody I think made in the image of God is created in some way we make things. And have you been working really hard on something? And then you step back and you go, that's exactly what I saw in my mind. I did it. Do you know that God has never not had a moment like that? That God is always going, I did it! (laughs) It's good! This is beautiful! And what's the very next thing that you do or you want to do after you make something good? You want to share it with somebody, which is what God does. God opens up God's self and God makes all these good things and then God begins to share it with us, with human beings. And so I love the text of Genesis, how it progresses. It is good, it is good. And God saw that it was good, it was good, it was good. And then we get to Genesis 1, verse 31, and the scripture says, and God saw all that he had made, like a cry, and it was very good. He put the finishing touches on creation. He goes, oh, this, this is my best work yet. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day, from the very beginning, the Father is revealed to us As the creator. And the creation for him, just so we're all clear about this, is not something that God kind of did because he was bored or it was a little side project. But really there's this other thing that God's working on that's more important to him. God reveals himself. Remember, God has a story. And that God reveals himself as the creator means that this creation, every molecule, every particle, every proton and electron, every wave and quark and all of that stuff, all of it, Every river, every rock, every blade of grass, every piece of dirt, every human being, all of it is infinitely precious to God. God doesn't divide up his heart with respect to his creation, but he looks at every... There has not been a sunrise that has ever dawned upon our earth that God has not been like, that amazing! But every time, our God like infinitely rejoices in all the things that he has made. I love... You could drop in, actually... Just about at random through the scriptures to see this theme at work. But I love this psalm. I read this last week in my devotional time. This is Psalm 65. Listen to how the psalmist talks about the relationship of God to his works. The psalmist says, praise awaits you, our God in Zion. To you, our vows will be fulfilled. We hear a prayer to you, all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed, he says, are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled With the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth earth and of the farthest seas. And now this, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, you stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. And the whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns and evening fades. You call forth songs of joy. You care not just for human beings. And what does the psalmist say here? You care for what? But you care for the land. And you water it. Do you know that every rain that's ever fallen fallen on our earth, that that was the Father's infinite care for the parched ground happening. (laughs) You care for the land and you water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench the furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the ewe with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow and the hills are clothed with gladness and the meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain and they all shout for joy. <laughs> that that's, is a hymn of praise to the Creator. Everything created matters to our God. And it's given to us as a gift. God shares it with us. Created existence is good. Which is why the half-brother of Jesus, James, says in John chapter 1, that every good and perfect gift comes from where? From above, from the Father of the heavenly lights. who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose us, James says. Do we have that text? Is it going up there? It's got to. There it is. No, no, no. It doesn't change like shifting shadows. In verse 18, that's what I'm looking for. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. This is the connection I need you to see that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he, crea- he created. James connects all of the good and perfect gifts of God in the creation to somehow like our lives being reborn. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be kind of first fruits of all he created. That our lives somehow are made right when we are right inside of the created order. So I want to say to you this morning, just first point for you, that one of the primary ways that the Father reveals His goodness to us is via the goodness of the created order. Another way to say this might just be that our God has dirt under His fingernails. God is involved with the stuff of the created order, and He intends that we would find him inside the created order and not in some esoteric flight of fancy out beyond creation, but precisely in the creation that God has made. I'll give you an example of this. I was not uh, really raised to understand this. I was raised in the Pentecostal charismatic tradition and we very much prized church services and prayer meetings and rightfully so and the spiritual experiences that happened there. And we prized the seeking of God in your prayer closet, your own personal prayer time, and in moments of reading the scriptures and kind of having revelation happen to you. And so we sought the presence of God and we loved the presence of God and we believed that God was a good father, but we sought him in these very discrete domains, okay? In church services, in prayer meetings, and in your prayer closet. And what I did not understand until I was probably in my early 20s or so was that God intends to flood the entirety of our existence with his presence and to have our whole life lived before him to have it be an ongoing expression of communion with him. And it wasn't anybody's teaching that shifted it for me. It actually was an experience of God. I'll never forget it. I was a sophomore probably. Yeah, I was a sophomore at Oral Roberts University, so about 20 years old. And it was a fall morning in Tulsa. And I'm not here to badmouth on anybody's city. I did not love Tulsa very much. But there are sometimes in Tulsa that are really, really quite magical. Do we have any Okies in the room by the way this morning? Okay, fall and spring also very good. Summer, a little bit rough, right? But fall is very beautiful. And I think it was a September, October, maybe day in Tulsa. And I was up really early that morning and uh, I'm a runner. And so I threw on my running shorts and I just felt like the energy in my bod, you know, I was ready to go. So I threw on the running shorts and my shoes, laced them up and headed out the door And uh, how many runners do we have here this morning? Do you have any runners here? Any of you, have you ever experienced? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a rare group here. (laughs) That There is a thing called runner's high, which is a real thing, where you're running and uh, it's a little bit hard at first, you know, but then all of a sudden it's like you hit this like magical moment, this like tip over point where your body is not really fighting with itself anymore. And all of a sudden you're just in your stride and your breathing feels really good. And I had that, and normally it'll take a few miles to get into that. But this run, it was like within a mile, boom, I was all of a sudden there. Yeah, and it's this gorgeous fall morning and it's very quiet, very dark, very still. And it's just me out there and the sound of my feet on the pavement. And yeah, I'm smelling the smells and I'm feeling the solitude of being, I just love every moment of that it was so beautiful. And I, I just, it was as powerful an experience of the presence of God. While I'm running and sweating my little buns off, you know, that I had had truly in my entire life. And I remember getting back and I just, I was so shocked by that. So I took a shower and I got myself cleaned up and I decided I was gonna wear like nice clothes that day, you know. And so for me at that point, that meant like putting on a, you know, I had the shirt, but then a tie and a sweater. And so I did that. I put on jeans and shoes and, uh, and a sweater and everything. And I just felt good about that. And then I drove to this popular coffee shop and I got like a really good coffee and I'm drinking the coffee and I, I was driving a Chevy S10 pickup at the time, this little beat up thing. And I loved that truck and I'm driving with the windows down with my coffee and I pop some music in. It was like my favorite music. And I, you just have those moments in your life, you know, where like everything works. The music of your life somehow like locks into place, you know, and you can hear the song of eternity inside the music of your life. And like that happened to me that morning. And I remember being so shocked at that because I was so used to experiencing the goodness of the father in purely spiritual moments, right? And having my hands lifted in worship or being on my knees in prayer or meditating on the scripture. But here was God like coming to me and ministering to me through my runner's high and through the coffee and my S10 pickup and the sweater, that knit sweater that just felt so good that morning and all the circumstances of my life. And I began to see things in a different way. And all of a sudden my eyes started opening up to the way in which the living God wants to communicate himself to us in the stuff of our existence. I remember I was just thinking of some examples of this this week as I was putting the message together. I was thinking about, uh, I'm a sucker uh, for good food. I love good food. And if you want to become friends with me really fast, take me out to a nice meal. And all of a sudden, I, I just love it. And my friends who are cooks will always say, like, you're our favorite person. Like, you are my favorite person in the world to cook for because you're so, like, effusive in your praise of the meal. This is the best thing I've ever had in my life, you know. I just love good food a couple of my friends years ago, one of my dear friends, Dan, uh, was trained in a French restaurant under this five-star French chef guy. And he, Dan, can cook the lights out of the place. And so Dan and my other friend, Brie, Brie is a Sicilian-Italian, and so she just got cooking like in her. And I remember the two of them came together and they did this like Asian-Italian fusion meal one night and they invited us all out to this meal. And the meal was like this beautiful risotto that Brie made and these short ribs that Dan had cooked and this like watermelon dish with shaved uh, jalapeno in it. And I didn't even know that you could do that. Can you put a jalapeno and a watermelon together? But you can. And it's like amazing. And they made these like clams too in this like beautiful garlic butter sauce. And it was like one of these meals that like I'd never had anything like about And then we dined al fresco, you know, we went outside and we ate our food outside. And I don't know if you've ever had a meal like this where you're eating and it's like such a sensuous experience that you just decide not to use your silverware anymore. And I was so, I remember being so lost in the meal that pretty soon I'm using like the shells of like the, the oysters to scoop up the risotto and tearing off pieces of meat and eating it greedily. And I've got grease running down my face and everybody's looking at me like this is awkward. But you know, Dan and Bree saw all that they had made and they saw that it was very good and they were happy to share it. <laughs> really, it is like this, but truly a transcendent experience eating food uh, not at a worship service not in a prayer meeting not reading the scriptures not having some esoteric flight into the sublime but eating this food and so every good and perfect gift comes where from who the father of the heavenly lights who doesn't change like shifting shadows i think about i've been married for going on 22 years now and i think about the moments that Mandy and i have had together and the moments that we've had together with our kids the times when we've been with our kids and we'll all of a sudden be laughing with our kids, laughing in a way that makes tears roll down your face and takes your breath away. (laughs) Those experiences, guys, are not experiences of something other than God. Experiences like that, every good experience that you've ever had, every experience just of being in the body where you've known something of goodness, that was a ministry of the Father straight to you. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is that we orient ourselves to the Father's goodness precisely by ordering ourselves right inside of our bodies, inside the lives that God has given us. Every Saturday morning I have this, uh, I told you I'm an avid runner, and so every Saturday morning I have this thing that I do. We have this kind of routine in our home. Everybody sleeps in a little bit late, and then we spend some time, I spend some time in prayer and devotion, and the kids kind of do their thing in the morning, and then we have a family breakfast together, and that time for, that sacred time where we sit around and eat eggs and bacon and I make waffles and caramelized apples and all of that and we eat together and we read the scriptures together. And then you know what I do after that? I put on my running shoes and I run for two hours. You say, why do you do that? Because I'm in love with existence is why. I go outside and I love being outside. I can't handle the treadmill. The treadmill to me did not come from the Father of heavenly lights. It's a terrible, (laughs) terrible thing. And so I go outside for a couple hours on a Saturday morning and I drink in that Colorado air and I run and I look at the mountains and all of it to me is the ministry of the Lord. And you know what it does to me? It like balances me out. It levels me. It makes me sane. And I get to that, I get to that profound point in the run where all of a sudden like you just run everything out of you and you feel like cleansed. You're clean. You're ready. And then I settle into the long Saturday Sabbath. We could go on and on and on here, but the point is that God the Father has designed bodily life to be a place of life-giving communion with Him. Everybody say bodily life. It's not just the life of the Spirit. It's not just your inner life, but it's bodily life. It's who you are and how you are in the body that God has given you, in the life that God has placed you in, inside the geographical region with all of its circumstances. All, all of that is what God has arranged to be a place of life-giving communion with him. And very, me- I think that there's a ton of us in the church, and this has, been the, this has been the case for many, many hundreds, thousands of years. We just have not realized this because we have this philosophical predisposition to valuing the inner life or the life of the invisible above the life of the visible. In the early church, there was a heresy that was floating around in the Greek world that sort of descended from Plato and some of his descendants, some of his uh, intellectual descendants, that was known as Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was this. Gnosticism basically said that God, whoever he was, the one is what they called God, lived out there somewhere in a place that was very remote from us. And this world that we happen to live in, the world of risotto and short ribs, and running, and marriage, and family, and children, and also sickness, and disease, and poverty, and all the difficulties of bodily life. All of that, the Gnostics said, all of that was the creation of an inferior deity to the one deity that lived out there. And there were certain people who realized this, and most of humanity didn't. And the people that realized this, they had the gnosis, is what they called it, the knowledge, the secret knowledge. That when you cultivated this secret knowledge, it detached you more and more from bodily life. So that you became a purely spiritual person, which was part of your salvation. That one day you'd leave the body altogether and you'd go to be in the realm of pure spirit with the one. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, it's because this philosophy has always tended to seep into Christianity. And Christians have here and there tipped over into the heresy of Gnosticism. We've done it sometimes in evangelicalism. The way that we've talked about salvation being an experience of going to be with Jesus in the sweet by and by, escaping bodily life altogether. In my charismatic tradition, we did it in the way that we valued the life of the spirit in those kind of esoteric experiences over the experiences of the body. We do this all the time. We do this. You don't even have to be a Christian to do this. I think about in our modern time, our modern world, uh, modern spiritualism, I think is this. I think you have a great many people now. I actually think that it's part of it is just Buddhism coming back into our culture. But it's people going, you know, salvation really is about detachment from things. So, detachment from relationships, right? And the messiness and the difficulty of that. Detachment from my job and the challenges of that. Detachment from the world around me. Detachment from pleasure. Detachment, detachment, detachment. And hopefully, I can get myself to a place where I've experienced communion with whatever it is out there. And all of that is biblically speaking it's heretical to the core. It's a denial of the reality that our God, who we call Father, when he presents himself first and always in scripture, he always presents himself to us as who? The creator of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. Do you know that there is no God behind the creator? We don't first get to know God as the creator and then graduate beyond that into something else. But always and forever, our God is creator. And every once in a while, we need people to come alongside us to help us remember this. In the 13th century, there was a man by the name of St. Francis of Assisi who was a wild man. His dad was a business owner. He's in church one day and he hears the gospel reading telling the rich young ruler to sell all of his possessions and give to the poor and then you'll have treasure in he- heaven. And St. Francis took that as a word for himself. And so that day, that very day, do you know what he did? He sold all this stuff and gave to the poor and he actually took off, <laughs> I love this story, but he took off all of his clothes and he gave them back to his dad. And he stood there in the middle of the town sta- square stark naked saying, I renounce my former life, you know? And they were like, what is the matter with you? He's like gripped with the madness of the gospel, and he ran into the woods and became St. Francis of Assisi and the rest of his history. One of the things that defined, that's free, one of the things that defined St. Francis's life is that he was a lover, like he just, the simplicity of life, he loved. The simplicity of being a creative being in God's created order. St. Francis found deep communion with God in that, and he wrote uh, this famous canticle of Brother son, which is this Prayer of homage to God for all the things that he's made in creation. I want you to listen very carefully to what St. Francis says in this canticle. He says, praised be you, my Lord, with all your creatures, and especially Sir Brother's son. I love that. But St. Francis looked out at the created order. He didn't see them. He didn't see the creation as just this inanimate, neutral thing. But he saw it. He had like this familial affection with it. So he says praise be to you my lord with all your creatures especially sir brother sun who is the day through whom you give us light and he is beautiful and radiant with great splendor of you most high he bears the likeness and praise be to you my lord through sister moon and the stars in the heavens you have made them bright and precious and fair and praise be to you my lord through brother's wind and air and fair and stormy and all weather's moods by which you cherish all that you have made. Praise be to you, my Lord, through Sister Water, who's so useful and humble and precious and pure. Praise be to you, my Lord, through Brother Fire, through whom you light up the night. And he is beautiful and playful and robust and strong. And praise be to you, my Lord, through our sister, dear Mother Earth, who sustains us and governs us, producing varied fruits with colored flowers and herbs. Now I know some of you are sitting out there thinking, that sounds like nature worship. It's not. It's a prayer of thanksgiving to God the Father through, for all the things that he has made. Through which God ministers to our lives and makes our lives robust and whole. He talks about brother son being the day through whom the Father gives us light. And brother's wind and air through which God cherishes all that he has made. Have you ever felt the wind on your face on a perfect summer day? And had your breath taken away by it? St. Francis knows what the Bible knows. That that's the ministry of our good God to us. Making us alive and helping us remember what's good and true and beautiful. And all throughout the scriptures, this is the case. That our good Father ministers to our lives. That he makes them whole. That he heals them and makes them robust precisely through the created order. 2 Kings chapter 5 One of the great stories of scripture that I think illustrates this. Uh, Naaman is a man who's the commander of the army of the king of Aram and Naaman has leprosy and you might remember the story the king of Aram. Aram and Israel are fighting at this time. They're kind of at odds with each other (laughs) but the king of Aram knows that there's a healer by the name of Elisha in Israel and so he says to Naaman, Naaman what I want you to do is I want you to cross over into Israel. Here's a letter from me to the king of Israel and you need to go see this guy Elisha. Elisha can cure your leprosy and make you whole. And so Naaman obediently does it. And he goes to the home of Elisha, where Elisha is staying. And he knocks on the door. And what he's anticipating is that Elisha will come out and greet him. But Elisha doesn't come out and greet him. Elisha sends a message to him. And we pick up the narrative here in verse 10. The scripture says that Elisha sent a messenger to Naaman saying, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. How is Naaman... Going to have his flesh restored and his skin cleansed by going into the muddy, dirty water of the Jordan River. And Naaman went away angry, the scripture says, and he said to himself, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And so he turned and he went off in a rage. And Naaman's servants went to him and they said, My father, if the prophet told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? How much more than when he tells you wash and be cleansed? So he went down. Just think about this. He went down and he dipped himself in that dirty, muddy Jordan River seven times, just like the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. This story to me is so telling. Elisha could have done it. Elisha could have come right to the gate of where he was staying, and he could have waved his hand over the spot, and God could have magically taken away. But it's telling to me that our good God, whom we know as Father, chooses to cleanse Naaman not through some magical spiritual transaction, but by having him be plunged in the created conditions of our existence. Go down into the dirty Jordan water, and you'll actually find that your skin is refreshed, that you're restored. God heals him, not outside of created existence, but our God heals him right inside of and through created existence. Jesus does this. Think about those times in the Gospels. When people will come to Jesus, I'm thinking now particularly of the blind man that came to Jesus one day, said, Master, please restore my sight. And Jesus could have, if he had wanted to, Jesus could have waved his hand, just like Elisha could have waved his hand over the blind man's eyes, and he would have seen. But what does Jesus do with the blind man instead? Do you remember? He spits in the dirt, and he puts some mud together, and he packs it in the man's eyes, and then he goes, Go and wash the mud out of your eyes. And what happens to the guy? He can see. This is a picture of how God makes our lives right. Our God has dirt under his fingernails. He doesn't heal us outside of our lives, he heals us inside of our lives. This Jesus who heals the blind man with the spit and the dirt turned into mud is the same Jesus who heals us via his broken body and shed blood on the cross. Created reality infused with divine life and given for the life of the world and he's the same God who meets us every Sunday at the communion table and he takes the bread of the earth and he takes wine and he blesses it and he gives it back to us and somehow we find that the very life of eternity has come to us. I'm here to challenge you with this question. When we think about what it means for God to be the Father, what if the wholeness that we seek is not somewhere other than in the lives that God has given us, but what if the wholeness that we seek is already embedded in the circumstances of our lives? What if it's just a matter of opening our eyes? And I think about the way in which God has done this in my own life. I've told you guys about a transition that Mandy and I went through that left us years ago, that left us feeling like our lives had come to a complete end. Remember when we moved to Colorado Springs, I've also told this to you, that when we moved here, it felt like getting put in a witness protection program. You know, Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? It's this existential crisis. Part of the reason for that existential crisis was that I had located so much of my identity and my sense of well-being in what I do with my life. My sense of plan, my sense of calling, my sense of program, all the things that God has called me to, and all of that. And you go through these experiences where God strips all of that away, and you wonder what is left of your life. And I went into a grieving process that was a couple years long. Where I just didn't have anything to hold on to. What am I supposed to do with my life? And I remember the only thing, and this started, this happened very early on, actually, after our transition. The only thing that really made sense to me was uh, part of the way that I coped with that season and like my grieving process. I'd go for these like long walks. Colorado Springs is gorgeous, you know, and so I go for these on these long walks, and I would just drink in deep drafts of the Colorado air, and I would notice things around me. Started noticing the textures of the landscape around me, and I started noticing the different plants and the different trees, and I started becoming more attuned to the movement of the seasons and all of that. And we got this porch that when I sit on it in the morning, I can watch the sun track its way through the sky all day long. I can watch it rise in the east and set in the west. And so I do that. I spend long, long periods of time on my porch watching the sunrise and the sunset and drinking all of that in. And I don't know what it was, but it something about engaging with God as creator like that, that it did this thing in me where all of a sudden I remember like the turning point In that process, and the turning point for me was going, wait a minute. I don't need something out there to make me more whole than I am right now. But all that I need to be as whole as God intends me to be is already provided for in this. And I started like this feeling all of a sudden started gripping me in the soul that like existence itself is an unfathomable miracle. And the transition for me was like I'd start waking up in the morning and instead of being like, I can't believe my life is over and those horrible things that happened to me, I'd wake up in the morning and I kid you not, I would go, I'm alive again. What am I going to do with today? Whatever I want. (laughs) And I'll wake up in the morning and I'll go and I'll sit on that chair on the porch and I'll drink in God's presence and His grace. And then when that time has come to an end, I'll eat my food with joy and I'll be with my family with joy and I'll run into the work that I feel like I can't believe I have a job. Not everybody has a job and I get a job So I'm going to go do this job with joy. I'm going to enjoy every single second of it. And then I'm going to come home and I'm going to read books because I love books. And I'm going to watch movies with my wife because I love doing that. And when I'm out of energy, I'm going to lay my head down on my pillow at night. And I'm going to say with the psalmist, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And if God is so kind to me as to give me another whack at it tomorrow, then I'm going to take another whack at joy tomorrow. And I know it sounds hyperbolic and crazy. You're like, who is that deranged madman? I'm not sure if I'm going to visit New Life East again. That guy is crazy. (laughs) But you know what it was for me? It was a reset. This is how you are designed to live. With gratitude to the creator. And somehow in that place of gratitude for all that God is and all that God has given, his presence comes rushing into our lives then he makes us whole. One of my favorite hymns, and we're gonna sing this in just a moment, is a hymn of response, is This is my father's world. This is my father's world, the hymn says, and to my listening ears, all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world, and I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees and skies and seas, his hands, the wonders wrought. This is my father's world, the birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world, he shines in all that's fair, in rustling grass I hear him pass, he speaks to me everywhere. And this is my father's world, oh let me never forget, that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. Can we stand this morning? Oh, Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. This morning we say open our eyes to your wonders. To the goodness of the creation, to the goodness of the lives that you have given us, the marriages that we're in and the kids that we have and the relationships that we're surrounded by, the jobs that we have, the city that we've been placed in, our own unique personality and disposition, these bodies, over all of it, you look upon it and you say that it's very good. And I pray that this morning you would open our eyes again to your wonders. And I pray. That gratitude would stream forth from the hearts of your people like a river. And make us glad by that river. Grant it, I'm praying. In Jesus' name. Then all God's people said. Let's respond and worship, and then Pastor Rory is gonna lead us to the table.
1: This is my. to my mm-hmm. speaks to me everywhere. This is my
2: The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. Would you simply give him thanks in this moment for those moments of joy? I find it profound about the way that God redeems the world, that he did not do it in some abstract way. He didn't simply wave his hand. He actually came in the body of humanity. He came into the real world with us. And on the night that he would be betrayed, he took a piece of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body a picture of what it looks like for the divine to step into time and space, into the normal, beautiful, joyful things of life and to lay my life down. And he said, every time you eat, do so in remembrance of me, New Life East, would you take and eat? That same night he took a cup Full of wine, and he said, This is my blood which is shed for you. Blood the the life source for all of humanity. He said, This is my blood which is poured out for every single one of you, that you may find salvation, redemption, and joy in the midst of it. New life east, would you take and drink? Now would you join with us as we sing the doxology.
0: You don't need to go somewhere else to find God. Your life, as it is, is already a fitting habitation for the divine. Just open your eyes. Do you lift your hands, New Life East. As you go from this place, I say over you, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I'll invite our altar ministry team to come forward. If you need prayer for anything this morning, we would love to pray with you. Remember, if you're new, stop and see us at Connect Central on the way out. Join us for prayer if you're able to at one of the eight prayer meetings this week. We love you, New Life East. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you next week.